So thank you so much for coming to today's product chat, everybody. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, as we mentioned a few times, if you uh, feel comfortable going on video, we definitely encourage you to do so. And uh, today's call is very conversational. So we definitely invite you to chat your questions in at, at absolutely any time. And we'll try to make it um, conversational and include your feedback as we go along. So my name is Rachel and I am the online community tactician for the Pragmatic Alumni community that is sponsoring today's call. We call it the PAC for short and this style of dynamic conversation that we're taking part in today is actually what the PAC uh, buys and sells in. So we are a community of uh, impassioned product professionals who are in product practitioners who uh, you know, share ideas, thoughts, and uh, best practices with each other. So the community actually opens this Thursday, and I just uh, dropped in a link for everybody if you want to find out more about what we've got going on in there. But we're, again, so happy to have you on today's call, and I am going to toss it over to Eddie, who will introduce our speaker today and get our conversation started. Thank you so much, Rachel. My name is Eddie Gordon. I am the courseware designer at Pragmatic Institute, and uh, today's co-host with Rachel um, our very special guest today, Hilary Boucher, currently is the community manager at Ultimate Software. She's also the director of networks for the Community Roundtable Network, where uh, the community members there include the top talent in the community management industry. So she's uh, the community manager for community managers. Who guards the guards, right? She does. That's the answer. Today's topic uh, we have entitled masterclass in leading a remote team and the point of the discussion today will be to discuss tips for going beyond adapting to remote teamwork and truly thriving as a remote team leader which uh, is going to be invaluable I think today. Um, a reminder to turn your cameras on if you're comfortable with that. Also if you have questions as we go along feel free to post them in the chat and I'll keep one eye over there so that we can pull them into the conversation with Hillary. But with that, Hillary, introduce yourself and uh, make us smarter. Hi everyone, thank you for having me. I'm super thrilled to be here. Um, as Eddie mentioned, um, I'm from Ultimate Software. I work on a virtual team and in my past role at the Community Roundtable, I spent about eight years um, building and growing and training a virtual workforce. Um, so lots of experience. I can't imagine not working virtually. And so it's been really fascinating uh, watching the world um, be turned on uh, to working virtually. And part of what I hope we can talk about today, I'm, I'm, I'm here to share what I've learned in my past 10 years of working virtually, leading teams, being on teams virtually, um, and getting work done. So I hope to share some of what I've learned along the way. Um, and also, I just wanna acknowledge in the big picture that um, we've all been thrust into a unique situation here uh, where we're not intentionally many, I know that many teams have been, uh, had to switch to a virtual workforce um, very quickly and abruptly. So hopefully those of us who have been around, uh, been around doing this for a couple of years can share today. As Eddie said, 
Um, I'll share a couple high-level thoughts, but I really want to have a conversation. Happy to answer questions and, and, and have that conversation with you all. All right, so the first thing I wanted to say, um, and I noticed this happening, you'll see lots of articles online right now about you know Zoom fatigue is real and how exhausted everybody is because they're in meetings all day, um, sitting at a screen. Um, and absolutely, uh, the, the, one of the first mistakes I see people make is fill up the schedule because if you're not in a Zoom meeting or you're not in a Google Meet or some sort of video conferencing, you don't feel like you're at work. You've, people are creating video conferences to feel like that's where you're going to work. And they, these tools play an important role in helping to structure the week or the month or even the day. But when we overload our teams with virtual meetings, that exhaustion is real. Um, we don't have any breathing time between meetings. There's no time sometimes to actually get the work done. Um, so um, just think about it when we're scheduling meetings and think about um, what could what doesn't have to be an email. So I challenge people um, to think about when you're about to set up a meeting uh, to ask yourself, does this have to be a meeting? Could it be an email? Could it be a post in a work in a virtual workspace? Um, and challenge your teams and your employees to think like that and, and use these meeting times really strategically. In the old world, uh, before we were all virtual, one of the things um, people talked about was oftentimes meeting places were really important for relationship building, but a lot of the work could be done in other collaborative spaces. Um, so think about how, how you're using your calendar and your meeting. Hillary, it seems like there would be a level of trust required on the part of the leaders and, and, and their reports as well that just because they're not seeing people on camera all day long doesn't mean that they're not being productive or, or working. Um, maybe some people are trying to establish the same level of conversation and relationships that they have when they're in the office together by holding constant on-screen meetings, but, but you would say that that's a, that's a mistake? I think so. And I think, in fact, when I think about, so while I've always worked virtually, I've spent time in offices. Our company has offices. Um, I visited and worked there quite frequently before the shutdown. And one of the things I noticed was in between meetings, you couldn't schedule back-to-back -back meetings because you needed time to get to a different conference room if you have multiple buildings to even get to a different building so there was this built-in space around meetings and there were buffers of prepare for meetings so you have to think about that virtually as well you got to give people some breathing room um, the trust is there i hope that we can trust our teams and there are also other mechanisms for working as teams virtually that don't have to be a face-to-face -face meeting. And I, I, you know, we can talk about that in a little bit tool too. Yeah. Are people feeling meeting fatigued? Is that something that's happening to people? I, even my kids at school, it's been interesting to watch. It happens at virtual school too, um, in terms of just thinking, oh, we'll just schedule up their full day. And yeah. one of the smartest things I've seen my son's middle school do is they backed off and they created um, a class virtually and then in between that they were expected to work on classwork and then they re-met back up on the meeting to talk about how they progressed so i thought that was pretty smart versus it's been it's been fun to watch my kids who you know weren't zoomers 
when all this started. And the first couple Zoom classes they had with their teachers, they were thrilled. And after about day three or four, uh, we would remind them, it's time for your Zoom class. And the eyes roll and they're like, oh my goodness. So, you know, these are kids who grow up watching screens all day long anyway. And the effect on them was just as obvious as it is on myself and my coworkers who look at our calendars in the morning and say, oh great, seven Zoom meetings in the first <laughs> half the day. It's intense. And uh, there you go in the chat, you've got, yes, absolutely, it's real. Uh, what, what can be done though? When we need to have a conversation instead of send an email, what can be done to ease the Zoom fatigue? Well, I think having other tools and taking stock, um, taking stock of what your virtual collaboration tools are and thinking through what are the activities that should happen. And I've seen um, professionals who are tasked with the governance of social collaboration. I'm sure you all, like most organizations right now, you know, every tool has a social aspect to it right now. So there can be a bit of fatigue there of where do you do what work? So as a leader, taking the time or having someone on your team map out, and I've done that, this with teams, my team that I'm on right now has done this, to say where do we do what work? And as a team agree what goes where can help um, people your team decide where that work happens. And, and these video meetings are just one type of communication tool. Um, I just wanted to point out, we had a, a message from Andrea in the chat that is a good reminder for us all that there very well could be people on this call right now who unfortunately, because of the circumstances today, don't have the job, which, uh, and, and our heart is breaking and aching for you. Um, networking prayers going your way, Andrea, and anybody else who's in that situation right now. Hopefully what we're talking about today will be useful to you when that next bright opportunity comes along, which I'm sure it will soon for you. I interrupted you, Hillary. What, what, what were you saying there? We're, I think it's a good time to flip to best practice number two is to think about what your synchronous daily, weekly milestones are. So I was joking around, I feel like my first point of don't overbook, and then I was thinking, well, what's next? Well, you need something on your calendar to set those milestones. So I think about it a little bit like the three bears. You don't want you know, too much, you don't want too few, you gotta find that, that right spot. And I have worked on teams where um, virtually uh, it, it felt very isolating because there wasn't a lot of touch points. Maybe you had one weekly team meeting, but you hadn't mapped out where works happen. There weren't milestones set. There weren't places to celebrate together or to just have light conversation. And so it felt isolating. It felt like your job was a checklist um, and you checked in once a week or you had your project plan meeting. Um, so I encourage you to think about what are those milestones that you're gonna place in the day or the week or the month that's gonna bring that rhythm to the team. Oftentimes, a physical office space helps create a rhythm. You know, you get in in the morning, you put your bag at your desk, you might go to the kitchen, get coffee and chat with people. You have to think about, now you have to intentionally create those rhythms a little bit more using this virtual, using a virtual environment. Um, so thinking about 
what those milestones are. Are you going to say good, good morning? Are you going to celebrate birthdays? Are you going to celebrate as a team when certain project milestones are met? Like what, what do those milestones look like? And, and when do you gather to acknowledge or celebrate them? And you can't do everything and every team will be different. So it's really about deciding what they will be for your team and, and creating those rhythms and traditions. What about on, uh, on the individual level as well? I've heard recommendations to, you know, dress for work or at least put, put shoes and pants on, you know, things yeah. like that, that help you, that help you get into the work mindset. Is there something to be said for that? Does that benefit the team as a whole if the individuals are in a work rhythm at home? So I've, I've had different experiences with this. In the big picture, um, I've realized, I, I live in the Northeast, so we have really long, hard winters. And when I'm working virtually and it's winter, it, it can go, I can go days and not have left my house and it can get really cozy with sweatpants and isn't this great, I can sit on my couch with my laptop. That isn't always great for mental health. And there are some intentional things you can do um, and I do think some of that advice can be really um, good and it's worked for me. Um, and sometimes if I'm feeling non-productive or um, a little lost at sea because I'm stuck at home too much, doing things like dressing for work, putting on earrings, whatever, whatever for you feels like what you would do to go to the office can be a trigger for, for you. So I think that's that's good. I also think I hear lots of people who absolutely love that they can work in sweatpants and put on a, you know, a blouse on the top and, and feel professional. So that might not work for everyone, but for many people, I, I know it's true and I know it's been true for myself. Good, yeah. It's a great point. I think too, wrapping, uh, finding a, a starting point I generally start uh, my day and end my day at the same time and, and, and try to create um, my work day. And I think over the years when working from home wasn't so common, I would have people say, I could never do it. Like I, like I would get distracted by laundry and pets and whatever. And I would think, well, if I did my laundry all day, I wouldn't have a job anymore. <laughs> like just because I'm not in an office doesn't mean I don't have deadlines. I don't have projects that are due. I don't have things that have to do. So I do think carving out like a time, sometimes carving out a specific space and using those triggers to say, you know, this is work. And as a leader, if you're leading a team, marking the beginning and the end of the day can help that team fall into the rhythm as well. That is a fantastic point. I, I have noticed, and, and I didn't work home from home much before all of this started, and I absolutely noticed that while I do tend to start at the same time every day, uh, my end time is very squishy. I'll, I'll look up from my desk and realize that I'm three hours over what should have been quitting time because there was no marker. There was no signal. There was no, hey guys, what are you still doing here? It's late you know? Um, and so it was very easy. I was in the middle of a project. I just kept going, uh, which can't be healthy if you do that forever, right? Right, right. And it's, and as, as we know from leaders in person, right, everybody follows the triggers of what a leader it is. So a leader really sets the tone for what the social norms are. And Rachel, I know you're running the slides. It actually delivers us right to the next um, best practice, which is 
being intentional about recreating those social norms. And I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but when thinking about what are the social norms in your in-person environment and how are you going to recreate, how are you gonna map that to a virtual environment? And you know, as Eddie said, yes, I've been working virtually for 10 years, but I've also been working with virtual online communities. So one of the things we do is community managers map out digital experiences for people. And what's really cool over the years is learning that there's a lot to be learned from people who design physical spaces. And I've taken classes for online virtual community managers from city planners to say, this is what we think about when we're designing a city. What are the healthy behaviors that we want people to take? And how do we design a park or a neighborhood or a downtown to encourage those behaviors that we want? Um, whether it's shopping locally or walking more or for health benefits, um, whatever those are. So when we're designing virtual spaces, we think about those same things, is how do we map those, those in-person norms that exist, so to our point, right, saying good morning, saying good afternoon, I'm taking off for the day, letting people know when you're running to the doctor's office, not because it's big brother, but because that's what would be happening. That's how you build relationships. You find out your desk mate, you know, is going to take off early because she has a dentist appointment. The next day you ask her, oh, did you have cavities? You start, you know, building that relationship. You don't want to lose those things with the virtual environment because that's when isolation sets in. Um, so, thinking about where are, where are people going to do those things? Um, where do those water cooler chats um, happen? And then also think about what are the behaviors we want and, and how, how are we going to encourage that to happen? Um, do we want people to let the team know when they've wrapped up a project and are moving on to different work? Um, what do we want collaboration to look like? Um, so thinking through, like having a brainstorm session where you actually map out and imagine like, I'm gonna walk through my day, through my week in the office, and then mapping that to what it will look like virtually can start to help um, adapt and keep the team healthy and thriving. So is it, is it that we want to try and mimic as closely as possible the rhythms of office life while we're all working virtually is that is that the goal or is is there no value in this new structure that we have that's a really big question i wouldn't say you are trying to mimic i would say that you're trying to identify what are the important social norms that are the glue to healthy trustful relationships and 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 positive work outputs what are those and, and make sure that those are included in your virtual spaces and your, your virtual weeks and rhythms. And can you give us, um, um, this is the gotcha part of the, yeah, sure, can, you sure. give us, can you give us a couple of examples of those social norms that we should be aiming to establish? You probably mentioned a couple already. I'm just I'm sure. pinning you down. Yeah, the, the good morning and goodbye are huge. And I know we already talked about that. Um, usually doing something on Friday, light, and sort of, you know, everyone in the office loves to say, happy Friday, what are your plans for the week? Um, weekend, is anyone excited about something? On Monday, everyone asks, what did you do this weekend? How was your weekend? You gotta make sure those things still happen. Um, Eric, Eric in the chat just mentioned virtual happy hours, which yes. I know Pragmatic Institute is, has been implementing on Fridays. Everybody gets together. It's, 
It's tricky though. So I got a sneak peek at your slides. And when I saw this topic come up about recreating social norms, I had a whole bunch of questions come to mind. And one of the big ones was around how um, virtual conversations like this are kind of distorted from, from a normal real life conversation. Our rhythms are off, humor doesn't work as well uh, because there's no subtlety and, and timing. I've interrupted you five or six times just in the course of this conversation things like that, that I would be embarrassed to do if we were in person. How do we make conversation work better in this virtual chat room style? Uh, and, and, and especially in regards to some of the more touchy conversations we might want to have, like what if we're having conversations regarding disciplinary actions on our teams, or you're just inquiring about a personal item because you want to reach out and yet it comes across so clunky uh, in this virtual format. How do we compensate for that? Yeah, I, it's, it's a really good question. And I think there are, I encourage you, I'm trying to think, Artu, Rachel, you might have some insight into this as well. If you go online, there's something called social etiquette, social network etiquette and online etiquette. And I think passing around and making those available to people, there's some things, there's this classic example, you know, when your great aunt Irma gets online and she emails you and it's in all caps and exclamation points and she doesn't know she's yelling at you. And people don't always know that all caps means yelling or the way that different tone comes across. Um, that's why as silly as they can be, things like emojis and GIFs in chat rooms, if you're chatting with people, can help. Because sometimes saying something feels stronger than it is, but if you have a smiley face after it, you're letting people know that it's meant in a lighter tone. So there is this whole world of social etiquette that comes with these tools um, that um, I think you could probably find pretty readily online. Rachel, do you have any other insight? Because I know you're, you're comfortable with this stuff too. Yeah, I really like the trust but verify model. Um, so I have been a big fan of one on one calls with people, especially if, you know, I feel like a message I might have said may have been misconstrued. And I don't want to have a huge, um, you know, slack log of me backpedaling from a request or an ask. I also this is a thing that I try to do is I try to really balance requests with like fun conversations. So being a a remote person in a team that is primarily on site, I can sometimes feel like the only time people might hear from me is when I need something, when I like make it. So I really try to know if I'm asking somebody for a lot of stuff that I might also private message them and share like something fun that I did or, you know, invite them to have a lunch with me and um, you know, use the model of like over communication and being like, hey, like I know I need a lot or I know that like I have to keep sending you back requests and, you know, but know that there's also a person behind the screen and like, let's not forget that we're all colleagues in the same, you know, place together. Will in the chat just mentioned uh, virtual games sort of the team building exercises. What, what's your opinion on those, Hillary? Are they, are they doing the job? We, I think anything that helps build relationships is gonna help your team feel less isolated right now. And, and that's a big rich risk, especially now everyone's overstressed. Lots of people have kids at home full time, stressed out from virtual schooling. Um, so I think there's a balance. 
Um, on one hand, uh, so I was just a, a, on a team meeting and the team decided it was blocked on our calendar. It's something we do twice a week. It's a tactical standup. And we said, let's give ourselves a gift back to ourselves right now. And let's all go do something that is not work related. Just knowing that we're, we're in a stressful environment. So there's a time where I think doing a game could be a great building experience. Then there's also from, you know, from a working person parent perspective, there could be a time where you're like, I could not play this game right now and I could do something else that was really important. So I think there's a balance of, you know, I could see that monthly, maybe doing like a game team building activity, but probably, uh, or every other week, but probably not more than that would be my advice. Yeah, one other thing I just wanted to add briefly that I saw in the chat as well is sometimes I think breaking these down smaller can really help. So I might be reticent to share on a 58 person call with our CEO, like about what I did this weekend, but like a breakout call where I'm talking like cross colliding with other members in, in my company and just through having like six of us where you're trying to connect um, can really help with like tone setting, I think too, because if you throw everybody out there, you know, if we had all of you guys unmuted all of a sudden, it would be kind of a mess. And so I think that's something that was a comment that I thought was well said. That's a, that's a great thought. And the other thing that I just thought of is there are ways to integrate like playful game type situations that aren't everybody come sit for a full hour and play this specific game. So for example, if, um, you have a Slack channel or um, you have this place where people check in and say hello. Instead of just saying happy Friday, you could say, hey everyone, happy Friday. Um, how are you feeling about the weekend? Respond only in GIFs or like do smaller things um, like little would you rather, to, like what's on your bucket list? Uh, you know, where will you travel first once the travel ban is lifted? And there are small ways that actually don't take up time but bring that light chit chat conversation that is important to people um, into their work environment. I just saw the question from Mark about what sorts of tools we can use. Is it collaborative online documents or how, what are some other options other than Zoom and email, which I happen to know because I got a sneak peek is your next slide. So if you're ready to move on to I that. I was say, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that, teamwork. <laughs> so to build on these points, at first I was like, you could send an email, but really, uh, do we want more email? And I joked uh, a couple weeks ago when my kids were starting virtual schooling, I actually took, I had to take PTO to just go through their Chromebooks help them manage their inboxes. And I thought to myself, wow, <laughs> this virtual schooling is really prepping kids for, for corporate life <laughs> because they're oh, in the man. Calling, they're overscheduled and the inbox can just be people's nightmare. And I think I'm thinking about, again, this goes back to that exercise of mapping what are the social tools that you can use to do what and there are there are so many social capabilities it's almost can be paralyzing and so f being intentional about what tools you're using and why um, and when can can really help with productivity and efficiency of your team and it helps take the guesswork I myself am like, should I Slack this person or should I, should I G chat this person? When there's more, a little bit of structure, 
and you create, you know, a little chart and people can have it on their desk of like, okay, I have a question. Is it appropriate for the team? Would others benefit by knowing the answer to this question? Okay, this shouldn't be in an email. It should be in a team space where other people could benefit from the answer to this question and get that knowledge out of a silo. Um, so think about virtual workspaces for tools. So Zoom, there's, so that's video conferencing tools. I would think about where does your team consider its virtual office space? Um, so I've used, we use Slack right now. Slack is very popular with people um, as like a daily. It's really easy to say good morning. It's really easy for quick questions um, and sort of working out loud and project updates. There, uh, there's Microsoft Teams, which I'm not as familiar with, but I hear more and more people talking about it and using it. In the past, um, people were using a tool like Jive. So there are these social collaboration environments. Your company might have a homegrown um, enterprise collaboration software. So you're looking for something that helps bring teams and the organization together in a communication channel where you can start hosting these, you know, good morning, what's everybody working on today? And touching base like that and letting people um, work. So there's a lot of tools out there. Yammer used to be one, but I think now people are using Microsoft Teams. Um, I'm trying to think. We use Google Suites, so the G Chat um, people use and create Google Groups with the with the chat. I don't know. Are there any? I'd be curious in the chat what I'd be curious what tools other people are using. I'm seeing some Slack in there, some Jira, there's Teams. It looks like we've got a good smattering of all the different varieties of collaboration tools. Do you have any tips for us about organization within those tools, uh, specifically like channel organization? Uh, do you just set it up as a as a one-on-one -on -one chat with every member of the team or should there be subgroups or groups or how in the world do you keep structure and order to that so you can find things if you need it? Well, I recommend thinking about a little bit of structure. I know it's not always possible. Sometimes um, people just turn on a tool and start using it. Um, from uh, in, the, in the online community management space, we always say, you know, you, uh, uh, social tools aren't, you turn it on and it fixes all your problems. It actually takes some strategy and some management of that tool. And so uh, it could be you as a team lead, you could, um, have two people or a person on your team say, this is what I want you to manage and keep track of and think of, but think about what are you going to be doing with that tool? Um, where are certain types of updates going to be? And then someone has to monitor and help correct, especially once you work on bigger teams or bigger organizations. The bigger it is, the more you're going to have to manage that um, so that if someone makes a mistake and posts, you know, a project update in the team happy hour chat and you're like no one's gonna see it it's 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 encouraging the wrong behavior we want to make sure all these project updates are in the right channel so that we can review and have a record of it um, you know it's someone's job to say hey it goes over there so there's a little bit of governance involved to be really effective um, with tools but I wouldn't let that stop you from using a tool. I would just encourage for those of you who already have those tools and are using them to think about what's the purpose of this channel, who's going to be managing it, who's going to be that person who triggers those routines and those, those rhythms and those 
um, social norm posts that we talked about, who's, who's the person who announces every month whose birthday it is, um, and, and have people have some of those responsibilities to keep those, those um, spaces healthy and thriving and engaging because they don't, there's some risks that come from um, just thinking the tool is going to solve your problem and the, that the tool, the social tool doesn't need some management to it. I uh, just want to point everybody to the chat if you're not following along there, um, lots of good suggestions, not just questions in there. So use that as a resource, everyone. So a uh, question about this section then, Hillary, is there something that email does better than all of the other more chat-based uh, communications that we've been talking about? Why, do, why should we still keep email? So and this is in my experience, I'd be curious what other people find. I find that email is really important for outbound communication. So for customer or partners, people who do not have access to your internal um, collaboration spaces. So it's crucial to remain to keep email for that. I also like email for notifications. So I belong to a certain number of collaboration tools. I set up my notifications so that I get triggered if someone responds to a question that I asked somewhere, or I posted someone, I posted, you know, a document or meeting notes and someone asked me a question, I'll get an email as a trigger. So emails to me are triggers and outbound communications in an ideal world. Once we start doing that reply all and um, going around the horn and asking one one questions, then we start to get buried in our inboxes, and it's no longer effective for the the important work that can be done in email. Yeah, here's a an interesting uh, question that's coming up in the chat here a few times. What about asking people to turn on their videos? How firm should we be in our request? How lenient and uh, are there times when it would just be inappropriate to ask people to turn on their cameras at all? Maybe the size of the group matters? So I'll, I'll tell you a story. I wasn't always a video fan. Um, for, for years, video was more like this, a special occasion. I knew I was going to be on video. I would prepare accordingly. And then it was probably five or six years ago, and our company decided to use Zoom. And I took a call with the Zoom account person to get some more information. And I'll, I'll never forget it. This guy was just like sitting back, kicked back in his chair, sort of like really relaxed. And I had like done my hair and my makeup and was sitting really erect and very aware that I was on video. And I thought to myself, will I ever, I can't imagine ever being that comfortable on a video call. And, you know, flash forward six months later, and I was like, video is the best thing ever. I feel like I met the person. I feel like um, I feel like I was with the person. It, it definitely feels different to me than just audio. At the same time, I think it's important that we recognize that not everybody's comfortable with it. I just watched my kids do this. There was so much anxiety being built up to joining these class calls, and it was a real anxiety. And once they did it, it was like they, they were like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It was actually nice to see my friends and my teacher. Um, but I think a lot of people have anxiety about it. So I think modeling, um, having your video on is one way to encourage. So we say inspire, don't require. So one thing my team does is whenever we show up on calls, we all have our video on. And it's really funny because one by one, people take off their video and then they say, yeah, oh, peer pressure. 
yeah, I didn't do my hair. And we're all like, no, oh, who cares? It's just so nice to see you. So try to encourage people. I don't know that I would go, if you enforced it, you would have to give them a heads up because some people might not be in a place in their home and you'd have to be really respectful that right now people's home lives um, can be um, more stressful or chaotic than usual. So maybe that's why they're not on video. Oh, somebody in the chat just turned their video on because of our conversation. How about that? Look at that. Get all here. Uh, there's, I've definitely noticed that, you know, when those requests to please turn your, your video on come, often it's because it makes it so much easier for the presenter. Maybe all the attendees of, of some video conference don't care whether they can see each other or not, but at, I try to turn mine on all the time as a courtesy to the presenter because it seems to make their job much easier. My poor wife, who's a school teacher, uh, is teaching classes upstairs to just blank screens, blank black screens, because nobody's turned them on. And it, it makes it rough on the, on the presenter. So if you want a better presentation, show your face. That's, that's my tip anyway. And I, uh, I also struggle because I don't always do my hair, but uh, you know, we just, we just make sacrifices. Those of you who flipped away to other windows during this chat didn't get the benefit of the visual of that joke. <laughs> catching you all right so, and there there okay. are lots of good questions and comments coming up in the chat if you're missing them there uh that's a good one from judd about reading body language which you can't do to a black screen of course it's 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 very true it's it's true and you know i'll 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 shout out i have um interviewed hired and trained people uh, without having met them and met them in their third or fourth month of, of working on the team. And I think video changed that and made it, uh, making video part of the interview process um, helped do that confidently and helped create that relationship where that was actually possible to do, which I think I, that blows my mind a little bit. I like telling that story because people are like, what, how do you do that? Um, but it is possible, and I do think video can help bridge that bridge that gap from the in person to uh, to virtual. So let's talk about um, coaching people to work out loud. So at the very beginning, we talked about not overbooking um, teams' time, and you asked a really good question, Eddie, about well, it would require some trust that people are doing the right things. Well, one of the ways that you can build that trust and, uh, and feel as a leader that you know what your teams are working on, you know they're on target, you know that everyone's being productive, um, is to coach them to work out loud. So I'd be curious if anyone has ever heard of the, heard of the concept of working out loud. There's a bit of a movement around it. You can look up Jane Bozarth has some really great articles. Um, about working out loud, how they help reduce the number of meetings people are in, fewer silos, you can save time and energy, it helps connect um, different sources of knowledge and different talent pools. So there's all these great things that come from working out loud, but it's something that um, I think as a team leader, you, you can coach and encourage people to do. So one of the things um, I would do in training new team members to work virtually, which required that trust, was to 
encourage them to every time they switched efforts or switched a project or or wrapped something up or moved from so for example rachel's going to get off this call and say i just finished co-hosting this call i would encourage her if she was on my team to go make an update in a team space that said oh just wrapped up this team meeting maybe add a this is how it went now I'm going to go grab some food, stretch my legs, and this afternoon I'm going to work on X, Y, and Z. And so having people check in throughout the day in a virtual space at when they're either wrapping up a project or just switching their attention to where they're working, it opens up opportunities for collaboration because other people can say, oh, I just was working on that and you might not know, but I uploaded a document that could be helpful to you. So it opens up opportunities for collaborate. It lets other teammates and uh, team leads know what people are working on and maybe redirect people if there needs to be another priority that is, is more important. Um, so I encourage you to go read Jane Bozarth, kind of look that up, see what it is. And it's not hard but it takes, it's a new behavior. Often people aren't used to sharing what they're working on until they've like finished their project and buttoned it up and wrapped a bow on it. And it takes a little bit of like sharing in process of, of where you are with the team. Um, but I, I think it, it really helps uh, contribute to a healthy virtual team. So that last comment reminded me of something that I thought of as I read through the notes here, and that is that teams are often made up of people with very different personality types. As you said, some people will be very willing to share everything that they're doing and give you an update every 10 minutes about the project, and others will feel micromanaged if they are asked to do that. All of the tips that we talked about today will need to apply to multiple different personality types. How can we adjust some of these tips? For instance, the give me an update on what you're doing to the type of personality that isn't as vocal about what they're doing and, and doesn't want to necessarily talk about everything they're doing every minute. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And you know your people and your team's best. Um, and I think those natural personalities come out in the social environment, just like they would in an in-person meeting where there might be someone who talks, you know, 40% more than the other people in the meeting. And that will happen in a virtual chat team space as well. I think if someone is missing from that conversation, that's where some coaching can come into of checking in with them and saying, is everything okay? And how can I help in encouraging them what, what would be reasonable for them, letting them set some um, goals for themselves for sharing throughout the week and being really honest and transparent. Um, you know, this is new, this is different. I can't check in and see that you're busy in your office. So, you know, I just wanna make sure. And if you came in once a day, two, three times a week and just said, hey, this is what I'm working on, or, this is what I'm excited about. I've seen team leads switch it from an update, like I did this and feeling micromanaged to what's something that you're working on this week that you're excited about, or you could flip it and say, what's something you're working on that you're challenged by? And again, that can be something that you as a team lead posts and people respond to. Um, and that uses that inspired, not required model as well. 
Now, in the in the workout loud uh, model, is everyone in the team expected to keep up with the updates from all of their coworkers? Uh, how, how do you avoid that from just becoming more virtual noise in your day? Yeah, it, it, I think it's a balance of size. I think um, I encourage my individual team um, to work out loud in a space that rolled up to a bigger team. And that was a way that our team could share um, with a, the bigger team about what what was going on and it was important because it's it's a little bit of show your work we're working here and if you don't ever check in and you don't update no one knows what you're doing and so there's a little bit of um when you're working virtually you have to advocate for yourself you have to share what you're doing and you have to say look 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 what i did or else there's a risk of um seeming like you might not be working. Um, so I think it behooves the individual to share. Um, in terms of managing that, I think that's what also individuals need to set up routines for themselves and notifications. So if you have, so let's say we're on Slack, if you have your Slack set to get a little like boop, 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 every single time someone chats, it's gonna be really distracting. If you say to yourself, I'm gonna check in in Slack first thing in the morning, turn off all notifications unless they directly mention me and then I don't check back in till mid-afternoon, um, that can help manage the flow. And I wouldn't say that people should be in every team space or group. They should be in their teams and any specific project spaces where people are organizing and working. But it, it really can you, can, you, can you tell us more about that roll-up model, roll-up reporting model that you talked about? So that means that team members report to a manager and then that manager uh, talks to the whole team or to their manager? How does that work? Um, I, you know, companies are so different and depending on where I've worked, there have been different models. Um, I know that when I led a team, I focused on what our team had to do to stay in touch and to stay on top of our deadlines. And then I was responsible as the team lead for reporting up but also I was encouraging my team members to share with a broad, in a broader team channel so that they could get credit for their work, so that they could get um, feedback from other folks and help them integrate into other teams so that they weren't sitting on a silo in, in my team, they were having opportunities to uh, collaborate with other teams as well. Fantastic. Yeah, Hillary, that actually got to a question that was about cross collaboration between large teams and coming from an organization that really um, did quite a good job evangelizing work out loud. I can testify to it being a challenge to get used to, but then once you do it becomes so normalized so quickly and it's really healthy to be able to look back even for me and say six months ago, what was I working on? Um, and I think the model is really flexible. You know, our community team will do a workout loud maybe once a week to say this is this is our goals for the week and we'll check them off as we do them um, and it's just as much for our self accountability to say this is what we have slated as much as it is for the team to be able to come in and just you know if you don't know about community 
you might get an idea by seeing that list of 10 tasks that like, oh, those are the tasks associated with this part of our work. Um, and it'd be great if other team members had that same thing because I'm not in sales. And so I could see what sales does and then sort of understand self-select if I wanted to either read that or have it be part of the noise of Slack that I'm not in. So right. That's a great point. And Eddie, to your point too, as I think about it, I think this is this really ties into the importance of having a purpose for every space that is stood up. And we're saying space loosely because there's all these different tools and there's all these mm -hmm. different ways of doing this. But if it has a purpose, so one space could be for an individual team to um, communicate on a daily and weekly basis. There might be a channel where um, a certain set of leaders wants to get updates. And so you would only roll up, you would maybe take an update from your team channel that says, oh, this would be good to share um, with our next level of team leads or our executives, depending on how large your organization is and what that structure looks like. So setting the purpose of what a channel or a space is helps define the actions that happen within it. I want to uh, wrap up with uh, the question that I've stolen from our, our fearless leader, Rebecca Calagares, who's the VP of marketing here at Pragmatic Institute. We call it the RK question. At least I do now, the RK question. Um, Hillary, if you were to have our viewers today do two things differently based on what you've spoken about today, what would those two things be? Okay, the first one, I would say uh, lead and model. So if, if, you're, if you want people to give an update or if you're gonna try to do something new in one of these tools um, versus requiring it, instead start doing it yourself. Um, so, so do that inspired, not required model and, and lead by example would be my first one. Um, my second one, would be to um, challenge yourself to get out of email as much as possible um, and see what you can do outside of email and open up the knowledge that sits on your teams so that you can scale the knowledge that exists and it doesn't stay siloed to those people who uh, got CC'd. Beautiful. Rachel, are you wrapping up or shall I do it? You're on mute, so that means you I go have to ahead. Do it, right? <laughs> That's All right, right, here we go. Um, thank you so much to Hillary. This has been fantastic. Hopefully, you were taking notes as you all listened to her speak. And uh, join us again Tuesday, May 19th, is the next of our product chats. That's at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time when we will be joined by Justin Lokitz, the managing director of BMI, that's Business Models Inc. And he's the author of the upcoming book, Business Model Shifts. Justin will discuss business model shifts that organizations can make in uh, every size to create value for tomorrow. Thank you so much. And everyone have a fantastic, be safe, be healthy, and we will catch you again for our next Pragmatic Institute product chat. Thank you all. Thanks so much, guys.